Solomon's Temple and its Teachings. Types of the Temple. Thomas Newbery. Precious metal values are given at 2016 prices approximately, gold £1,250 per ounce, silver at £15 per ounce. Contents. Introduction. God's Earth. Preparations for the Temple. The Foundation Platform. The Measurements and Structure. The Stones of the Temple. The Woodwork and Carvings. The Overlaying and Garnishing. The Doors and Veil. The Cherubim. The Ark of the Covenant. The Altar of Incense. The tables of shewbread, the golden lampstands, the golden and silver vessels, the two pillars, the brazen sea and lavas, the brazen altar and the sacrifices, the courts and gates, the holy portion of the land, the temple of Solomon filled with glory. Answers to questions. Introduction When the Lord God, Jehovah Elohim, the triune God, had planted the Garden of Eden, and filled it with everything that could delight the senses, he placed man there. Adam and Eve having sinned, and hearing the voice of God, walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid themselves from his presence amongst the trees. God asked, Adam, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice, and I was afraid, Genesis chapter 3 verse 10. Concerning Enoch, the seventh from Adam, it is recorded that, he walked with God, Genesis chapter 5 verses 21 to 24. The word is the same as is used of Jehovah walking in the garden. It is implied that before the fall, God walked with man and man with God. Enoch walked with God. When he struck out on that path he was not the inventor of it. God had set the example. He desires companionship with us more than we do with him. The walk begun in Eden, broken off by sin, was renewed with Enoch, amid the evils of a fallen world, continued with Noah and all the children of faith onward to the cross. A Sunday school teacher, explaining the translation of Enoch to her class, thus expressed herself, God was in the habit of taking long walks with Enoch, and one evening, when they had gone so far and talked so long, it was too late for Enoch to go back to his home, so God took him home with him. Thus shall it be with all who walk with God. That walk begun in paradise before the fall, renewed in grace, taken up in resurrection by the Lord Jesus, will be continued in the paradise of God through eternity, in that eternal day which knows no shadow and no evening. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 16 to 17, the Lord will come and take his pilgrim people who walk with him down here to be forever with himself at home up there. The Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them, Revelation chapter 7 verse 17. According to his own words, I go to prepare a place for you. I come again, and will receive you unto myself, John chapter 14 verses 2 to 3. God's earthly dwelling places There are three structures mentioned in the word of which God was pleased to give patterns and particular instructions. First, the tabernacle in the wilderness, next, the temple of Solomon on Mount Moriah, and, third, Yet in the future, the temple spoken of by Ezekiel, the millennial temple. God, in the condescendence of his grace, has caused his word to be written, so that his children may not be ignorant. He has given his spirit also to guide them into all the truth. The word of God is an illustrated book, full of object lessons conveying spiritual truths. Of these the chief are the tabernacle and the temple. Creation has its voice to man. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, Psalm chapter 19 verse 1, so that men are without excuse, Romans chapter 1 verse 20, as to the acknowledgement of his eternal power and Godhead. In the two structures of which he is the designer and the architect, every wit speaks his glory, Psalm chapter 29 verse 9. This makes them of eternal interest to us. The tabernacle in the wilderness when the children of Israel were brought out from Egypt under shelter of the blood of the paschal lamb, on their way to Canaan, God could speak to them, as a redeemed people. Concerning a sanctuary for himself, God's dwelling place with man on earth.
He gave Moses a pattern of the tabernacle, he revealed to him upon Mount Sinai his own thoughts about it, and directed him to make all things according to the pattern shown him, Exodus chapter 25 verses 8 to 9. The tabernacle in the wilderness, which was thus made in accordance with God's command, is an appropriate and expressive type of the Church of God in its present wilderness condition during this dispensation. The dwelling place of God in his redeemed, according to the word, I will dwell in them and walk with them, and I will be the God, and they shall be my people, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 16. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him, 2 Chronicles chapter 6 verse 18. What a vivid idea Solomon gives us of the infinitude of God in that expression. All created things are finite, unlimited as the spaces occupied by them may appear to us, heavens stretching beyond heavens in apparently interminable succession, but, in the nature of things, limited. Not so God, he is infinite. The Apostle John writes of the Holy Jerusalem, I saw no temple therein, for Jehovah God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it, Revelation chapter 21 verse 22. When the Lord Jesus was on earth, he was God's dwelling place, John chapter 1 verse 14. The redeemed are God's temple in which he dwells, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22, but God himself is the temple in which they worship. Creation cannot contain his fullness, but those who love him and abide in him are filled into all the fullness of God, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 19. God says, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15, 66 to 1 minus 2. Marvelous condescension of divine and infinite love. God seeking the companionship of men. He desired to renew it with Israel, and, through them, with the rest of mankind. Broken by sin, he longed to renew it, and this he has done through redemption, as is here set forth in type. No sooner was the sanctuary provided, and everything accomplished according to God's word, than, the glory of Jehovah filled the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 40 verse 34. The temples of scripture There are five temples mentioned in scripture. The first is the Temple of Solomon, built on Mount Moriah, connected with Israel in the land, a type of all the redeemed who have part in the first resurrection, not alone the saints of the present dispensation, but including all from Adam and Eve and Abel, on to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and are gathering together to him, the true King of Kings. The Temple of Solomon, because of the transgression of the children of Israel, was given over into the hands of their enemies. It was destroyed by the Chaldeans because Israel had defiled it, and the holy vessels were carried away to Babylon. The second is the Temple of Ezra. When Israel had completed the seventy years of captivity, God, in fulfillment of his promise, stirred up Cyrus to give commandment for the rebuilding of the temple on its ancient site, Ezra chapter 1 verse 6. God using his prophets Haggai and Zechariah to strengthen the hands of the children of Israel who returned from the Babylonish captivity. Though this temple was inferior to that of Solomon, it was built on the same site, and God was pleased to own it with the manifestations of his presence. The third temple was that of Herod the Great, the Edomian king, which was forty-six years in building, and whilst, no doubt, it retained some portions of the original structure, it differed from both Solomon's and Ezra's, especially in the arrangement of the courts. From the account given by Josephus, it seems to have been larger than Solomon's, and was built according to his own taste, much being added. There were added the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, of which the word of God says nothing. This is the temple which was in existence when our Lord was upon earth. There is much confusion in the minds of some as to the place where our Lord and his disciples worshipped. They could not enter the courts of the priests or draw near to the altar. When we read of the Lord and his disciples going up to the temple, we are not to suppose that they entered beyond the exterior courts. 
The Holy Ghost has employed two distinct words in the original Greek of the New Testament in speaking of the temple, one is hieron, from hieris, sacred or priestly, which refers to the whole temple, its courts and other buildings. The external structure. The other word, nows, from nais to dwell, signifies the inner building, embracing the porch, the holy and most holy places, the sanctuary. It was into the external courts our Lord went, for, not being of the tribe of Levi, he could not enter the inner temple. Christ is not entered into holy places made with hands, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24. Into the holy place the priests entered to trim the lamps in the morning and light them in the evening, to burn incense, morning and evening, on the golden altar, and to arrange, once a week, the shewbread on the tables. Consequently, Zacharias, Luke chapter 1 verses 8 to 10, was alone in the temple, while the people prayed without, a time of incense. This temple of Herod was destroyed by the Roman army under Titus, A.D. 70. The destruction was foretold by our Lord himself when he said to his disciples that not one stone should be left upon another, Matthew chapter 24 verses 1 to 2. It had also been foretold by the Spirit of God through the prophet Daniel in that wondrous vision of the 70 weeks of years, Dan, 9:24-27. The Jews reckoned years by periods of weeks, from shebang, seven, as well as days. In Daniel chapter 10 verse 2 it is weeks of days. The angel Gabriel informed Daniel, 70 weeks of years are determined, cut out, upon thy people and upon thy holy city. These 70 weeks commenced, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, Nehemiah chapter 2. From the date of that commandment from Artaxerxes, unto Messiah the Prince, not the sacrifice, thus taking in the whole period, shall be seven weeks, that is, 49 years. During which the wall and the street shall be built, in troublous times. After the, three score and two weeks, making up, with the previous seven weeks, sixty-nine weeks. Four hundred and eighty-three years shall Messiah be cut off, Mark, but not for himself, literally, and nothing to him, or, as some render it, he shall have nothing. Thus sixty-nine weeks are accounted for. The seventieth week is in abeyance. The present dispensation fills up the gap, that period during which Israel is in rejection because she rejected the Messiah, a time of mercy to the Gentiles, for God is taking out of them a people for his name and a remnant of Israel according to the election of grace. As Daniel foretold, after the cutting off of Messiah, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prince that shall come, is Antichrist, the lawless one, the man of sin. The head of the Roman Empire in its final form. The Romans were, the people of the prince. The cutting off of Messiah was to be a preliminary fact to the destruction of the city and temple. All this has come to pass as God had said. Now we come to the fourth temple mentioned in the sacred scriptures. Read Daniel chapter 9 verses 26 to 27, Daniel chapter 12 verse 11, Matthew chapter 24 verses 15 to 22, and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 to 8, Revelation chapter 11 verses 1 to 2. Our Lord says Jerusalem sh Israel has been carried away and scattered among the nations. There is no temple of God, no earthly house in which he has placed his name now, but, in order that the word of God may be fulfilled. There will be a temple on earth called by his name in which the Antichrist will appear. At the time of the end the prince shall come, of whom our Lord foretells, another shall come in his own name. Him ye will receive, when he comes he will make a covenant with the Jews of one week, seven years. Here we get the missing week of years, thus completing the seventy. The prince, the head of the Roman Empire, in the midst of the week, according to another prophecy, breaks the covenant, and takes away the daily sacrifice. The abomination of desolation, is to be set up in the holy place, as we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 4, he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The moment that sign appears. 
the Lord warns his people to flee, and in his tender grace to pray that their flight may not be in the winter nor on the Sabbath day. There must be a temple of God, Revelation chapter 11, in which Antichrist is to show himself thus, an altar recognized as an altar of God, a daily sacrifice which can be taken away, a Sabbath day observed. Thus we have the last week of Daniel divided into two portions, three and a half years from the time the covenant begins until the taking away of the daily sacrifice. Then comes the time of great tribulation, Matthew chapter 24 verse 21. The Mosque of Omar or Dome of the Rock, stands on that marble platform which was the firm foundation of the former temples, on the spot which David bought of Arona the Jebusite, and where Abraham offered up his son Isaac. For centuries it has been kept sacred in the hands of the Mohammedans, and thus preserved from the idolatries of the Romish and the Greek church. The fifth will be the Millennial Temple, as fully described in the last nine chapters of the prophet Ezekiel. It will be built in the land of Israel during the millennial period, and will be the center of worship for Israel and all the inhabitants of the earth. According to Isaiah chapter 66 verse 23, and Isaiah chapter 56 verse 7, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations shall flow unto it, Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2. This temple will be erected in the midst of the priest's portion of the holy oblation, Ezekiel chapter 45 verses 1 to 5. Preparations for the temple David's first thought after David had been established on the throne and his kingdom at peace, he set his heart on building a house for Jehovah. That which had first led David to think of building the temple, doubtless under divine guidance, was a desire to provide a suitable resting place for the Ark of the Covenant. As connected with the manifestation of God's presence with Israel. David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the Ark of the Covenant of Jehovah remains under curtains, 1 Chronicles chapter 17 verse 1. See also Psalm chapter 132. But Jehovah told David that Solomon his son was to build the house to his name. The ransom money we read in Exodus chapter 30 God's commandment concerning the numbering of the children of Israel in the wilderness, that, when the people were taken account of, from twenty years old and upwards. Each one numbered amongst the people of God was to bring a ransom for his soul, a becca or twenty jaraz, the half shekel of the sanctuary, the didrachma of the New Testament. Value about 15 pence, see Matthew chapter 17 verses 24 to 27, that there might be no plague, the ransom price being paid into the treasury of God, they were numbered as a ransomed or redeemed people. In Exodus chapter 38 we find it amounted to 100 talents and 1,775 shekels of silver, each talent being about 114 pounds, of our weight, or 27,360 pounds per talent in value. Of these, 100 talents of silver were cast for the sockets of the tabernacle, 96 for the sockets of the boards, and 4 for the pillars of the veil, the remainder of the silver was for the hooks, chapiters, and connecting rods of the pillars. What was all this a type of? The Spirit of God through the Apostle Peter throws the light of heaven on this subject, in the words, ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18-19. This is the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul, Romans chapter 3 verse 25. This typical tabernacle of God in the wilderness, pitched on the sands of the desert, each board of shittim wood fixed in their sockets of silver, was founded on the redemption, foreshadowing the redemption price of God's own spotless lamb, on which alone our souls can rest, as builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. David's temptation God permitted Satan to tempt David, and David, acting under the instigation of the adversary, requested Joab to number the children of Israel, for, it would appear, his own gratification. That I may know the number of the people. They were not numbered as God's redeemed, but as the people of David, consequently judgment followed. 
There is no mention of the redemption price having been paid. The angel of God went forth in judgment, and seventy thousand in Israel in three days fell. On David's confession of his sin, God, in his tender mercy and longsuffering, abundant in goodness, as well as in truth, commanded by the prophet Gad, that David should build an altar to Jehovah on the threshing floor of Ornan, or Arona, the Jebusite. David obeyed. He purchased the threshing floor for fifty shekels of silver, with the oxen and implements, 2 Samuel chapter 24 verse 24, paying its full value, the legal price, but he gave for the surrounding place, or land, six hundred shekels of gold. A place for the courts of Jehovah's house, a site for the temple. David there erected an altar, offered sacrifice, a burnt or ascending offering, and a peace offering, and God showed his acceptance by answering David by fire from heaven, accepting the sacrifice as a savor of rest to himself. Silver is the emblem of redemption, therefore for the site on which atonement was made silver was paid. Gold is the emblem of divine glory, and gold was given for the site of the temple. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, thus satisfying justice to the full, but he has redeemed us to everlasting glory. And the glory which the Father gives him he shares with his people, John chapter 17 verse 22. The demands of law have been met, and the atonement price fully paid in the blood of the Lamb, but, over and above all this, glory has been given in the riches of divine grace. In Matthew chapter 13, the field was purchased for the sake of the treasure hid in it, the pearl for its own preciousness and beauty. David's provision for the temple David, in his trouble, before his death, prepared abundantly for the house of his God, 1 Chronicles chapter 22. He considered that the house to be built to Jehovah should be, exceeding magnifical of fame and of glory throughout all countries, and he made provision accordingly. He provided, a hundred thousand talents of gold. A talent of gold is considered to be of about one hundred and fourteen pound weight, and is computed to be worth two million two hundred and eighty thousand pounds of English money. Thus a hundred thousand talents would amount to two hundred and twenty-eight billion pounds sterling. And he also provided, a thousand thousand talents of silver. This, at £27,360 the talent, amounts to £27.36 billion. These together, gold and silver, £255.36 billion sterling. He provided also of brass and iron without weight, for it was in abundance, and timber and stone, also all manner of precious stones and marble stones. Moreover, because he had set his affection to the house of his God, he gave of his own proper good, over and above what he had prepared. 3,000 talents of gold of the gold of Ophir, amounting in value to 191,520,000 pounds, and 7,000 talents of refined silver, amounting to 2,394,000 pounds. To overlay, plaster, the walls of the houses withal, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verses 3 to 4. David in the first instance, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, provides with all his might, in the second instance, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verses 1 to 4, because he had set his affection on the house of his God. The former we may say was a work of faith, the latter a labor of love. Faith works with all its might, love impoverishes itself to enrich its object, provides its utmost and its best. David, not content with emptying the exchequer of his kingdom, so to speak, throws in his own private property over and above, not only gold, but gold of Ophir, not only silver, but refined silver, reminding us of him who, though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. In addition to this, the chiefs, princes, and captains of Israel contributed 5,000 talents of gold, 11,400 million pounds, and 10,000 drams, 10,000 talents of silver, 273,600,000 pounds, 18,000 talents of and 100,000 talents of iron.
and they with whom precious stones were found gave them to the treasure of the house of Jehovah. Then the people rejoiced, for that they offered willingly. This was a matter of joy. David the king also rejoiced with great joy, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verses 6 to 22. In noticing the contributions, we may observe that the Spirit of God not only mentions the talents but the drams, so, whatever is done for God in the name of the Lord Jesus, be it ever so little in man's estimation, has a value set upon it. Even a cup of cold water is not overlooked. The magnificence of the house consisted, not so much in its size as in its structure and material. God was its architect, so planning it that it might be a pattern of spiritual and heavenly realities, and its materials were designed to be emblematic of excellencies and glories which are spiritual, heavenly, and divine. When we consider the enormous value of the gold and silver contributed for the temple, unbelieving atheism may ask, to what purpose was this waste? But that which was expended on the house of God and devoted to his glory was not wasted. There is such a thing as laying up treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Solomon's preparation, Solomon determined to build a house for the name of Jehovah, 2 Chronicles chapter 2. David may be regarded especially as a type of Jesus in his humiliation and sufferings on earth, Solomon of Christ in resurrection and heavenly glory. Solomon sends to Huram or Hiram, king of Tyre, informing him of his design, in these remarkable words, Behold, I build a house to the name of Jehovah my God to dedicate it to him. And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. But who is able to build him a house, seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him? Who am I, then, that should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice, incense, before him? And reminding Hiram that he had sent cedars to David his father, Solomon requests him to send a skilled workman, cedar trees, fir or cypress trees, and algum trees out of Lebanon. To this Hiram consents, promising to send the cedar and fir trees by floats to Jaffa, and Solomon was to give to the workmen wheat and oil, 1 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 to 12. Solomon's workmen he raised a levy out of Israel of 30,000, whom he sent to Lebanon, 10,000 a month by courses, so that they were a month in Lebanon and two months at home. Adoniram was over this levy. And of the strangers that were in Israel he set seventy thousand to be bearers of burdens, eighty thousand to be hewers in the mountains, and three thousand and six hundred offices and overseers, Second Chronicles chapter 2 verses 2, 17, 18. It was under Solomon that we see this remarkable combination of Jew and Gentile in the work, so it is Christ Jesus, risen and glorified, of whom Solomon was a type, who builds the temple of God. And having reconciled both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body by the cross, employs those who are his own, called out from both, in his service. Christ incarnate was God's living temple while he was on earth. When he spake of the temple of God, it was the temple of his body, John chapter 2 verses 9 to 21. But Christ, risen and glorified, is the chief cornerstone of the heavenly temple, uniting Jew and Gentile in himself, in whom all the building, fitly framed together, grows unto a holy temple in the Lord, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 20 to 21. When the present dispensation is passed, Jew and Gentile will again be recognized and dealt with separately by God, but all such distinctions are unknown in the church, which is his body and his temple. The foundation platform in order to raise the surrounding ground to a level with the threshing floor, the place of the altar on its summit, a foundation platform of stupendous structure was built. It was to form this foundation platform that the Lord gave commandment, as we read in 1 Kings chapter 5 verse 17. And the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones, to lay the foundation of the house. This broad platform, level and secure, was for the erection of the temple, its courts, and other buildings. 
and the foundation was of costly stones, even great stones, stones of ten cubits, and stones of eight cubits, 1 Kings chapter 7 verse 10, in plain language, about 20 feet and 16 feet in length. These firm foundation stones remain intact beneath the surface to the present day. One of the great services which the Palestine Exploration Fund Committee has rendered to the Church of God is the investigation which they have so skillfully carried on in respect to this foundation platform. It is an oblong structure, in round numbers about 1,500 feet long, and about 1,000 feet in breadth, it is known as the Haram Esh Sheref, or Noble Sanctuary of the Mohammedans. The surface is nearly level, carpeted with grass, cypresses are found there, and oratories and mosques. About the center of the enclosure rises a platform nearly square, about 16 feet in height, formed in part of masonry, in part of the native rock, and paved with stone slabs on which stands that which is now known as the Mosque of Omar, which the Mohammedans call Qubat S. Sakra, or Dome of the Rock. Above the surface of this platform time has done its work. Siege after siege has committed ravages, but below the surface, to a depth of 60, 70, or 120 feet, there have been discovered those vast stones of which we read in the sacred record. So closely joined that scarcely a penknife could be put between the joints, without cement, firm and immovable. On some of them may be seen the marks of the builders, in red vermilion. Foundation Truths This foundation platform is built upon Mount Moriah, Moriah, the vision or manifestation of Jah or Jehovah, as it was said, in the Mount of Jehovah it shall be seen. In that wondrous 22nd chapter of Genesis. We have not only foretold God's own Lamb which he has provided, but we have there the Mount of Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh. Solomon, as a wise master builder, went deep, and laid the foundations upon a rock, hence their security. Let us learn from it afresh the lesson of our Lord in the seventh chapter of Matthew, that, however, well builded, however skillfully erected, our house may be, if built on sand. When the hour of trial comes and the overwhelming scourge passes through, it must come down. When God lays judgment to the line and justice to the plummet, he will sweep away every refuge of lies. It is on God that the firm foundations of our faith for time and for eternity must rest. If our faith is in Christ, it must be in the Christ of God, founded upon the character, the perfections, and the attributes of the unchanging, eternal God. Trust ye in Jehovah forever, for in Jah, Jehovah, is the rock of ages, Isaiah chapter 26 verse 4. Jah, the title of God in the eternity of his existence, inhabiting eternity, to whom past, present, and to come is one eternal now. Jehovah, the title of God as the everlasting one, that is, and was, and is to come. God's purposes and plans connected with the ransom of man in time, and the monument of his eternal glory to be erected thereupon in eternity, were laid deep in the councils of eternity, the work was according to the eternal purpose, the purpose of the ages, which he purposed in our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 11. The Father in eternity laid the stupendous plan. The Son laid down his life to accomplish it. The eternal Spirit renders the work effectual in each believing soul. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 9 to 11. This is the stone which was set at naught of by, you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved, Acts chapter 4 verses 11 to 12. If faith is to be steadfast and secure, it is not to be for ever laying and relaying the foundation not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment, Hebrew 6, 1-2. Let these vast truths be taught as the rudiments and foundation of our knowledge of divine things, unchanging, immovable. There can be no glory to God, no salvation to men, where there is no divine foundation.
it is no building of God, no habitation of God through the Spirit, if the divinity of Christ is denied. The rock foundation of our faith must be, God manifest in the flesh. As the Apostle says, to whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God, and precious. He also as lively, living, stones, are built up a spiritual house. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he that believes on him shall not be confounded, ashamed, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4-8. Christ himself, in his person and work, is the chief cornerstone of the whole. The rock is the truth of God which he reveals to the soul, as in the case of Peter, see Matthew chapter 16 verses 15-18, when he confessed, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, a stone, and upon this rock I will build my church. Then we also read, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief corner, foundation corner, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20. The apostles and prophets of the New Testament dispensation, through whom the truth of God was revealed and given to us, built upon those great and grand foundation truths contained in the inspired scriptures of the New Testament. In full confirmation, dovetailed in, and builded together with the massive truths of the old, resting upon the same foundation. Every doctrine of revealed truth is truth as it is in Jesus, all centering in his blessed person, all in harmony with his work, accomplished at no lesser cost than the incarnation, sufferings, and death of the Son of God. Then, again, where there is no divine, eternal spirit, there can be no Christ. Who is the Christ? The Christos in the Greek, which means the anointed, the Spirit of Jehovah is upon me, because he has anointed me, see Luke chapter 4 verses 16 to 21, is the answer. You cannot have Christianity without Christ, you cannot have Christ without the Spirit, you cannot have the Son without the Father, nor the Father apart from the Son. To take away or deny one of these foundation truths is to disturb the whole, for these things, like those great massive stones of the temple foundation, are embedded together. The measurements and structure it is by combining the statements in 1 Kings chapter 6, 2 Cron 3, and Ezekiel chapter 40, 41, etc., that we ascertain the dimensions and details of the temple and its courts, some particulars being given in one place, some in another, but, wherever the measurements are repeated in the different books, they perfectly coincide, or differ only in a manner which helps to ascertain the truth. In general the internal measurements are given rather than the external. The measure generally employed is that of the cubit or forearm, respecting the exact length of which there is diversity of opinion. According to some 18 inches, to others 21, while others make it 21.888 inches, or nearly 1 foot 10, and some even 25 inches. It will be generally sufficient, in order to form an idea of the various dimensions, to adopt some easy measurement, say 1 foot 10, or 2 feet. The cubit of Ezekiel is one-sixth larger, being a cubit and a handbreadth, Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 5, the handbreadth being reckoned as one-sixth of the ordinary cubit. Ezekiel's read of six great cubits is therefore equal to seven ordinary cubits. But when the scale is larger, the number of cubits where the measurements coincide is the same. Seven being the scriptural number for completeness or perfection, it is interesting to observe that the measurements of the temple of Ezekiel, or the millennial temple, are thus brought up to the scale of perfectness. The measurements of the holy and most holy place the length of the house by cubits, after the first measure, that is, as I understand it, after the ordinary cubit, was threescore cubits. And the breadth twenty cubits, 1 Kings chapter 6 verses 2, 17, 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 3. This is internal measurement, and inclusive both of the holy and most holy places. 
This is distinctly stated in Ezekiel chapter 41 verses 2, 4. He measured the length thereof, 40 cubits, and the breadth, 20 cubits, verse 2, that is, of the holy place. So he measured the length thereof, 20 cubits, and the breadth, 20 cubits, before the temple, and he said unto me, This is the most holy, holy of the holies. The height thereof, 30 cubits, 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 2. The internal height of the wall of the holy place, while the height of the oracle, or most holy place, was 20 cubits, 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 20. The porch the porch before the house in internal measurement was 20 cubits in length, 10 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in height, 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 3. It is well to remember that in the tabernacle in the wilderness the holy place was 20 cubits long by 10 cubits broad, but 10 cubits internal height. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3 verse 4 the porch is described as 120 cubits high, but this is acknowledged to be a mistake arising from a transposition of letters. The Alexandrian copy of the Septuagint reads, 20 cubits. In Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 49 the breadth is from the door of the holy place 1 cubit deeper, 11 cubits. The windows, windows of narrow lights, broad within, narrow without, see 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 4, margin. These appear to be for the holy place, whilst in Ezekiel chapter 41 verse 26 we read, and there were narrow windows and palm trees, artificial palms, on the one side and on the other side, on the sides of the porch and upon the side chambers of the house. These last were the windows of the porch and of the side chambers on either side. The floors, chambers, and galleries, and against the wall of the house he built chambers, floors or stories, round about, on either side, 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 5. The Hebrew word sabib rendered, round about, is to be interpreted according to the connection. Sometimes it means, on either side, as in Exodus chapter 7 verse 24, where it first occurs, and sometimes, round about. These floors were formed of rafters of cedar, in three stories, on which the side chambers and galleries were. And they extended the whole length of the house. And he made chambers, side chambers, round about the nethermost chamber, floor or story, was five cubits broad. The word is floor, but it is true both of the floors and chambers. Compare Ezek. 41 to 7. The middle was six cubits broad, and the third was seven cubits broad, for without in the wall of the house he made narrowed rests, narrowings or rebatements, round about, on either side. That the beams should not be fastened in the walls of the house, 1 Kings chapter 6 verses 6, 10. This is further explained in Ezekiel chapter 41 verses 5 to 8. The wall of the house, at the foundation of the side chambers, was six cubits, the thickness of the wall for the lower side chamber was five cubits, verse 9. As the side chambers of the second and third stories enlarged one cubit each, the wall decreased in proportion. The side chambers were in three stories, fifteen on either side in each story, making ninety in all, four cubits broad each, Ezekiel chapter 41 verse 5, five cubits high, 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 10. They seem hinted at in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 11. David gave to Solomon the pattern of the treasuries, probably the side chambers on the first floor, and of the upper chambers, or the second and third stories, and of the inner parlors, or the innermost side chambers toward the west. It appears there was but one door of entrance from the galleries, on each side of the temple, so that the passage was from one to another into the innermost, 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 8, Ezekiel chapter 41 verse 11. And from the whole building being said to be 70 cubits broad, Ezekiel chapter 41 verse 12, these galleries appear to have extended 10 cubits on either side, for the width of the house was 50 cubits. I might suggest that the chambers reached by ascending stairs were for the use of the priests and levites, who day and night served in the temple, watch by watch, that they might wait on God continually.